0: Merry Christmas! It's December 23rd where I'm sitting right now. And we are discussing the December 22nd issue of Digital Bytes Newsletter with Johnny J-O-N-N-Y Fry. You find him on LinkedIn at all the times. And uh, this is a, a hell of a year-end article. I'm reading this thing and I'm seeing six point some odd trillion dollars in debt, cro- global. I mean, I do that no, out of no, my no, house no,
1: myself. No, no, it's six trillion dollars a day. That's how much this this old oh, bank Oh, Oh, six trillion a day.
0: <laughs> I was going to say I could do six trillion, but I'm not doing that per day. Absolutely.
1: Feels like good. It. Well, well, look, uh, James. Well, yeah. Great to be back on the air with you, and, and happy Christmas and festival, se- holiday, seasonal greetings. Um, as, as now in our very politically correct world, we have to say to people, but um, it's very John, John say Lennon that. of you. Yeah. Well, they they say that, and yet they put Santa's hat on and. All that sort of stuff, but but whatever, you know, live, live and let live. But I was I was just really, I've been in financial services myself, as you know, for getting on for you know forty years, and doing some research into this bank called it's called the Continuous Linked Settlement Bank, and this is a bank in New York. Uh, most of its operations um, are run just around the corner from where the Queen of England lives um, in in the city, and it basically settles foreign exchange transactions for about 28,000 institutions. It's owned by a group of banks and they claim they're settling up to six trillion dollars a day. And in the article, you'll see we've got a little video and it shows how it's actually the money settled. And basically, you know, you have to post to the bank if you want to buy dollars and I have to post the bank if I want to sell yen. And then what happens is we all the banks and all the institutions all net off and once a day, they clear their books and everyone has to basically net off what they're owed and what they are owed. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great system been going now for nearly 20 years. But um, one of their main uh, shareholders um, is, a, is a little old bank called Hong Kong Shanghai Bank or HSBC. And sort of behind the scenes, they've been developing their own blockchain powered foreign exchange settlement system called FX Everywhere. And HSBC have been developing this. And it's now got to a stage whereby they're so satisfied with how it operates that they've um, gone to um, that in um, American bank that has sort of a stagecoach, stagecoach and horses going across the Wild West, Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo and HSBC are now going to be settling some of their FX trades outside of CLS and using FX everywhere. And the reason they're doing it, well, number one, it's cheaper, um, so that's a pretty good driver for a bank always looking to try and save money. But number two it's much, much more transparent and effectively is actually happening in real time. So from a sort of a management point of view and from a compliance point of view, having things in real time where you can see in a much more transparent way it is much less risky. And it's something which, you know, we're watching with sort of bated breath because are we going to see, you know, wholesale change and this almost this sort of dismantling of, you know, the Continuous Link Settlement Bank used by 28,000 different financial institutions. And are they going to go across to, if you like, FX everywhere or something equivalent powered by blockchain technology? So we just thought it was another good example of how the technology is being used to cut costs and, you know, hopefully have better risk controls, you know, within the financial service industry. And I'm sure this is going to attract regulators' attention, because if you can do something cheaper and in a more compliant manner, then you know, there's going to be some fairly awkward conversations with other companies saying, well, look, you've been using sort of a system a procedure. Now with technology, you can use a, a better system, a better procedure potentially. So you've either got to go to that new system or you've got to change your existing processor systems to be at least as good. So um, maybe not such good news for CLS, but obviously it would appear that FX everywhere with HSBC, they must be delighted with
0: um, the platform using blockchain that they've actually managed to develop. These are major, this isn't your local credit union, right? This is, <laughs> I know HSBC, I know Wells Fargo very well. And, uh, I mean, we're going from Bloomberg anywhere to FX everywhere. <laughs> and uh, this is real life blockchain implementation for, yep. I mean, the world's largest banks. Yep. And, and I
1: think it's it's fitting as, as, as 2021 draws nigh that actually... A real demonstrable example of the technology, blockchain technology, being able to do something that you can't do with another type of technology. And, and, you know, whilst we've been writing Digital Bytes now for coming up for four years and we've been doing the radio shows with with yourselves and prior to that with, with our mutual dear friend, Pierre, who as you know, unfortunately regularists you now he passed away, he was running blockchain radio. And we've been running these sort of um regular weekly shows, week in and week out now for oh, getting on for at least sort of uh, three years. And and many times people said, Yeah, it's all very well and good, but why do we need blockchain? You know, it's slow, it's full of people nefarious activities, but one by one, all these, all the naysayers are being proved wrong. And we and we're now seeing very, very strong commercial reasons and very strong if you like risk and compliance reasons why you know as you say some of the biggest banks in the world are saying we can use this technology but 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 i don't want to just focus just on the banks and just on financial services because the 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 ability to use blockchain technology and and the digital assets that they create is not just restricted by any means to uh financial services and 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 james you know cyber.fm have got to be living testament to that you know you're a radio station you know, listen to what by 4.6 million people in all, over, literally all over the world. And as people are listening to us rabbiting on, they're being paid in tokens. So you're being paid for this, you know. This air, air bashing that we're giving you.
0: Right. And and in the spirit of radio, we do the whole uh, And 2022 is going to be good for it. We have the Cyber FM Great Gas Giveaway. And it's like radio, right? You used to give away yep. T-shirts and give away prize packs. And we're giving away gas money for the blockchain because, you know, the blockchain operates on gas. You always yep. have a transactional fee. So we called it the CyberFM great gas giveaway. Be the 10th caller and win yourself some Ethereum. That's absolutely not a banking thing in that scenario. It's it's a prize right yep. it's a couple of kids trying to answer a trivia question so that they can use the blockchain and crypto technology who knows maybe HSBC will call him <laughs> <laughs> Bankcoin or whatever
1: but yeah so the, the other one of the other articles that, that we've written about in this week's digital bytes which if you'd like to, like to get a copy uh, once a week then just you know con- contact obviously James Tiley at um, you know cyber.fm or as James already said you know you can contact me. J-O-N-N-Y, Johnny Fry on LinkedIn and we'll we'll make sure that we get a copy. It comes out every Wednesday UK time in the morning and next week we'll be doing a review looking at some of the predictions that we made at the end of 2020 uh, as to what 2021 might hold. Um, And I know next week for our final show of the year, James and I are going to look at some of the predictions that we've made in the past and perhaps some ideas and thoughts going forward. But in this week, we, we were looking at the, the, the challenge around inflation. And you know, I'm sure many of you in, in many different countries are only f- too familiar um, with, unfortunately, prices seem to be on a, an upward trajectory. And we've seen the headline figures, you know, inflation in Europe is the highest it's been since the euro began, even the Fed saying that, you know, they're not calling inflation transitory anymore. And we're seeing inflation. This is reported inflation, sort of in you know, about six ish percent, but there's lots and lots of anecdotal evidence that actually if, you, if the US were using the same way today that they had 10 years ago reporting inflation, well, inflation would actually be in double digits. And you've only got to look at the um, you know, price of some of the things that you're buying um, yourself as you've been shopping this Christmas and this holiday time. You'll see that they're up a lot more than 6%. So we, we were sort of trying to look, OK, so what happens then? when inflation rises, and, and where where will investors move their capital? And I, I do want to stress that both Cyber.fm and uh, Team Blockchain, who write Digital Bytes, we're not authorised to give financial advice. And anything we say is purely our own opinions and views, but it's not designed to give financial advice or recommendations in any shape or form. But what we're just trying to look at is, well, let, let's see what's happening in the real world. And, and when we say the real world, we're looking at well, how much does it actually cost to move goods um, around the world? Because most of the things that we consume, certainly in in the USA and and many parts of Europe and um, the like, it relies on transport and it relies on container ships. And if we look at something called the the Baltic Exchange, which records the price of goods being moved around. This year, we saw the price rise by 178%. If we look at a range of commodities, um, as measured by the Commodity Research Bureau, and we look at, um, you know, it's called the Stand and Pause GSCI, which um, stands for Goldman Sachs Commodity Index. Both of those are saying commodities, and these are things that, you know, typically you know, we use in manufacturing or we actually consume ourselves because it's corn and wheat and stuff like that you know, it's up 40%. And as uh, James earlier said, you know, we're doing this recording today on the 23rd, Thursday, the 23rd, just before um, people break up for sort of holiday season. And um, we, we've been hitting all time recent highs on gas prices. I not the gas for blockchains, but actually the gas that gets burnt for heating and energy and electricity creation. And in the same way that some of the older members, older readers remember, um, it was indeed the crisis with OPEC and the um, the continued ramping up of prices in the Middle East, which caused the traumatic impact of, um, you know, inflation in the 70s. And whilst we're not proposing that we're going to go back to, you know, inflation rates of 20, 30% um, as a headline figure, there is a very, very strong possibility that the inflation rates that we currently have, people are going to actually realise that actually it's not 6%, but it could well be 10 or 12%, and that's going to lead to one thing, and that's a rising interest rates. And if that does happen, given the huge debt that both individuals and governments, and probably more importantly, companies have, companies are sitting on a huge amount of debt. And as interest rates go up, it's going to be more and more expensive to service that debt. And we came across a website called retirebeforedad.com. Should really be retire before mum or dad. Um, And and they claim, which is just... I I still can't quite believe it, James. They're saying there's only three companies in the S&P 500 that are debt free. Did you know you I know, you know, Monster Beverage, which is one of them. Do you know Biomed? Yeah, I want to say yes, actually. Or Intuitive Surgical. No, that I don't know. To be fair, that's a 124 billion market cap company. But those three are the only ones. So the reason for all this and sorry for the sort of long intro is because if you go back just say 10 12 years ago when we had the last financial crisis you know there just wasn't the same range of alternative assets that exist today you know you didn't have NFTs you didn't have sort of DeFi exchanges you you didn't have sort of cryptocurrencies in those days and it's going to be very very interesting to see you know, if traditional equity and bond markets do indeed take a bit of a tumble and fall 20 30%, maybe more, who knows, will people say, look, I'm going to move my money out of that area and I'm going to put it into something different? And actually coming up after the break, we've got uh, Peter Habernacher from um, Arrow Capital, and this is a specialist crypto um, funder fund manager. And um, they've done some research and they, they believe that actually having some of the money of your portfolio, your overall investments, you know, putting some of that into digital assets, into cryptocurrencies can actually not only give you a better return, but it can actually reduce the volatility of your overall portfolio. So um, more on that after the break. But in doing this sort of research, we came across some very, very interesting figures from um, actually the Royal Bank of Canada. And one of the criticisms of blockchains have been They're not scalable. They can't handle the volumes of the credit cards. That's the one that's always been thrown back when we've been doing presentations and the like. And according to the Royal Bank Accountants so far, um, MasterCard have actually handled 6.3 trillion transactions. Visa have handled 8.6 trillion transactions. And Ethereum, so that's just one blockchain, has handled 6.2 trillion transactions just in 2021. Now, that goes to some extent to explain why the cost of doing transactions on Ethereum, either gas charges, are so high because it's being used so much. But I think it gives categoric evidence that actually um, it's a load of old hogwash when people say that blockchains aren't scalable. Because actually, under our noses, we've seen just one blockchain, and bear in mind there are hundreds of blockchains, just one Ethereum has done almost the same number of transactions as as visa so let's say it'd be very interesting as we start seeing inflation um numbers creeping up interest rates have already been raised um, in in various different countries including here in the uk and are we going to see investors um, allocating some of their money into some of these alternative assets and increase the interest in some of the things in the DeFi space with nfts and and some of the other digital assets that are out there james
0: you know what's probably gonna happen i can i can foresee it you're going to you know pick a company that you want to invest in right a car company or or a shipping company you like, oh i might i might throw some money at this on Robinhood or you know on on an ilx terminal of your broker and i just dated myself huh so <laughs> you sure did <laughs> i sure did but these companies are going to be using blockchain technology, but maybe not necessarily advertising it, right? Because it's almost kind of be like a weapon. You know, why are you uh, rolled out more internationally? Why are you available to more customers? Oh, we well, you know, we have great marketing. We have great spread. We have the ability to put remote offices everywhere. And uh, we also use blockchain, by the way. Yeah. So it might become where we talk less about it and not re- that's going to drive the adoption further. I, I
1: totally agree, James. I I think you know. When was the last time you've ever had a conversation in the last ten years about? Oh yes, um, do you like my Excel spreadsheet? Or you know, have you have you been admiring my Word document? Now I can remember <laughs> years ago people would talk about Lotus Notes as opposed to Word documents, but you know. I think what's going to happen, blockchain technology itself will just be operating almost anonymously in the background. And anyone that can't give you information in real time, anyone that can't give you the transparency of transactions, you may be in supply chains. So when you go into your supermarket and buy your groceries, and if you want to know, well, I want to know a bit about the farmer that actually grew my lettuces or that farmed my, you know, the prawns I'm going to put on the barbecue um, or the milk that I'm about to drink or You know, how do they create that oat milk? You know, because if you look at oats or if you look at almonds, you know, then you you can't actually squeeze them in your hand and get some How does it operate? Where does it come from? And what's the ESG and the carbon footprint? Now, all these things can all be accessible very quickly with your mobile phone, with a QR code, using blockchain technology. Have that information given to you as you're about to make your choice. Do I buy it from that farmer? where they're they're claiming it's free-range eggs, but actually the eggs, um, there's no evidence to prove they are. Or do I buy it from that one where they're saying it's free-range eggs and I can play a short little video and I can see the conditions and I can see what's going on. And these are almost like marketing gimmicks people were thinking of. You know, a couple of years ago, but now they're just necessity. I want to know and have more information about the provenance Um, or I'm sending a parcel and I want to be able to track where it is and what's happening. And, you know, has it suddenly been dropped or is it being stored in an area that is too hot or too cold? And all that information will be carried on different blockchains and people won't even think about it. It'll just be there. And if it's not there, then they'll use a service provider that is able to provide that
0: information. Oh, you just made me think of a a new global search engine that will just log all blockchain. And when you type in the word potato, it's going to take you to all the potato transactions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it could be. It could be. But going back to the inflation, James, just before we came on the air, you told me that you you had a big old gas guzzler um, that actually, secondhand car, it went up in value.
0: Oh, so we all know I brag about I'm electric now, right? I still got my big ones, but... But I'm using the electric car just to go to church, just to go to the store. Uh, There's no reason not to because you drive, like you said, in the 70s. That was it 78 where the lines were into the street for getting gas. And I know in America, during that inflation crisis, you were getting gas on a day that was assigned to you based on your license plate. And I mean, if that was to ever happen again, knock on wood, I'm just going to get in my electric car and honk and wave. (laughs) But the reason I bring that up is this. When I got that electric car, I got it for a sweet deal. I had a 2016 Jeep Patriot. It's a family SUV crossover Jeep. God, I hated it. It was the... I hated it. It Just not me. But it did its job, little four cylinder got around. I paid I got it what they call um they call it like off lease, right? Back in sixteen. So I paid fifteen thousand US dollars for it. That's about you got fifteen grand's worth. You know, I had serious satellite radio, I had uh air conditioning, I knew what the temperature was outside. That served every purpose I needed for that jeep. I drove this Jeep around for four years. I put forty-five thousand miles on it. When I traded it in for the electric BMW, they gave me eighteen thousand dollars for the Jeep. I paid done forty-five thousand miles on it. I paid fifteen, put forty-five thousand miles on it, and made three thousand dollars. Wow! And it all went to the trade-in on the BMW. Yeah, that's well. There you go. inflation. Inflation. That's inflation. Okay. All
1: right. But look, James. I, I know we've got we've got um we've got Peter waiting um after the break. So um we'll 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 go now. Come back after the break. We'll be um obviously looking at um you know more stories next week in our final edition for the for two thousand and twenty one, and then be tying things up ready for next year. Because I I got a funny feeling next year is going to be a very very interesting year for for the economy. I am going to give one prediction, and that is I think we're going to come through the worst of what we've seen in COVID. So uh, that, that's obviously been tragic for, for many individuals. And I don't know about you, James, but I've certainly lost a couple of friends to COVID. So, you know, very, very sad to be thinking of this year. But I think next year we should be hopefully behind the worst of that. But we've got some real fireworks coming up in the economy, um, without a doubt.
0: But ma- more, more on that as, as we go through 2022. I'm certainly not interested in getting COVID again. But, <laughs> uh, third time's a charm, right? Because I'd gotten it yeah. twice. But I agree. I think that whatever the theory might be about immunity or the shipment of uh, vaccines, whatever it is, I think we're going to wait around for the next big issue. I don't think that, you know, unless we're going to call it COVID-22, which I wouldn't be interested in either. (laughs) I I don't think we're going to take on a bigger problem or maybe I shouldn't say bigger, but a different problem in 2022, which it goes with the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, we'll,
1: and obviously, we'll be trying to write about it as we can and trying to make sense in Digital Bytes, which is really, you know, just a recap, what we're trying to do is look at some of the macroeconomic um, things happening, the world economy, and looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different industries and different countries uh, by giving actual examples of different countries and different um, companies that are using the technology. But, um, but yeah, so we'll be back after the break to talk to Peter from Arrow Capital. And uh, thanks again for getting all this sorted out, James.
0: Yeah, let's go line them up and get them on the air.
2: You are listening to the all-new Cyber.fm.
0: Well, you know, it's that time of the year again. Johnny and I are back. And uh, this week's Digital Bytes, Johnny had an article written by um, Peter. He's over at Aro Capital. I just heard a, a back story about how they came up with that name. But, uh, Johnny, why don't you tell everybody about Peter. You've been talking them up earlier.
1: Yeah. Um, as we were talking before the break, really pleased Peter's coming back on, on the show. We were talking for some of the regular listeners that used to listen to Blockchain Radio with our dear friend Pierre. He actually came on, I think it's about three or four months ago, wasn't it, Peter? You you came on and we were talking about your fund. Uh
2: yeah. Um months ago and now also at the start of the year as well. Yeah. So um you've done you've done an article,
1: alternative investments and tokenization. Um, and for those of you um not heard Peter speak before, he, he actually uh, works in works in London in the UK, um, and runs a crypto fund of fund. So he is, I, I put him in this sort of fairly rare camp in the sense that he's actually having the opportunity to um, look and talk to other fund managers that are managing pools of sort of crypto assets. So gets quite an interesting perspective of really very much at the sharp end of what's going on. So so Peter, welcome to the show. Um, good to have you on on Cyber.fm. And um, yeah, perhaps just a bit of background about, about your business. And then I'd love to talk through the article, if that's OK.
2: Uh, sure, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my name is Peter Habermacher, and I'm delighted to be the Chief Executive of Our Capital. My background is in competition economics, um, consulting mostly on M&A deals. But I draw upon his background um, to kind of provide a more traditional um, economic background to what we do and how we frame things. It's... Uh, one of the ways which we, as a company, uh, differ, differentiate ourselves from most of the market and also how we kind of understand and justify kind of this as an asset class for investors. So our capital opens up the exciting and rapidly evolving DLT as asset growth story for sophisticated investors. And the RO DLT multifund fund is a regulated EDMAR sold fund of funds. We have put together what is, to our knowledge, one of the first genuinely institutional quality fund of funds offerings in this space. Our goal is to offer broad exposure to the long-term growth of DOT and crypto assets, whilst protecting against the market short-term volatility. And this is achieved by investing across a range of funds with different investment strategies, an approach that provides a strong source of diversification in these fast moving
1: markets so, so peter how do you how do you avoid having too much of something like bitcoin or ethereum which to be fair they dominate from a, you know of the current crypto capitalization they they're the two big daddies in the room aren't they so how do you avoid every fund you buy ends up having you know 10 20 30% invested in that one or those two asset classes
2: yes it is kind of something that kind of we do monitor and kind of um, look at um so we firstly kind of when we do our due diligence we kind of look for funds that are differentiated and complement each other as opposed to doing you know, similar strategies holding different assets um as if you have two funds that do very similar things you're not really getting any you kind know, of diversification benefit from that and right. we also um get regular updates from the online manager as um kind of as to what they're doing what they're holding and transparency of the underlying manager is very important for us uh, due to the issue you raised.
1: I used to run a fund of funds in the old sort of unit trust days and use it days, so ages ago. And it's always difficult to, if you were lucky, you might get an update once a quarter. Have things moved on in the crypto world? Is it how do you keep up to date monitoring what they're doing underneath? I'm sure it's not real time, but can you get um, you know a bit, bit better than a quarterly update on where
2: the funds are invested? We normally get monthly updates from them, and we have been yeah very aggressive in kind of negotiating terms with managers both on kind of transparency and reporting um, to allow us to better manage our portfolio relative to um, kind of what we'd be able to do otherwise and manage the risk. Um, but also, we are yeah. Negotiating kind of on other things such as terms and fees. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and is there? Sorry, I should have, I should have told you I was going to ask yeah. you this question. For I, I suddenly came to you. Is there any particular geographic area where you're seeing there's a like a centre of excellence? Is it in Switzerland or is it funds particularly based in Cayman? I appreciate the manager won't be there, or is it Asia? Is anywhere particularly you'd say that there seems to be pockets of where there's expertise from your from your point of view?
2: I mean, as you alluded to, Cayman is a very common. Myself for crypto funds, also kind of Switzerland, Liechtenstein, and um, what's it called, Luxembourg. Um, in terms of where the uh, managers are actually based, um, there's a lot in the US, both on the kind of uh, around New York um, and then kind of uh, the kind of San Francisco and the Bay Area. So there are kind of a few in Texas, and then kind of the other big uh, pockets are kind of Hong Kong, Singapore, and then. Europe, um, a lot in Switzerland
1: and in London. Okay, so it's the, the normal sort of suspects in terms of the geographic locations. And you, 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 you put a chart in here, which I thought was really interesting from Periquin, looking at how they believe the alternative asset sector is is going to grow, you know, going, going back, well, looking back in last year, they they were saying it's sort of just under sort of 11, um, 11 trillion, 11 trillion of assets, and they're looking it to grow up to 17 trillion, I 70% increase by 2025. That's a huge jump, isn't it?
2: Yes. Um, especially since the financial crisis. And people have been looking at kind of additional um kind of places to get a return given bonds. Have, yeah, basically you look looking you made money on kind of a lot of the kind of government bonds these days, um, especially in euro. And then also people are looking to kind of diversify away from kind of US tech stocks, which has been the kind of main driver, of most traditional portfolios. But also, I think it's um, to some extent um, just kind of education. And obviously, as a new asset class emerges, it takes time for kind of people to get used to kind of it understanding it as an asset class. And this has kind of yeah, very much kind of happened a lot over the past year. So, it has been a combination of people looking for different things, but also there's been yeah, a lot of kind of education going on in relation to why you should get exposure to alternative asset classes. Okay,
1: and are you 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 mentioned about people perhaps being a little bit wary of. You know, we've seen a fantastic run in the in equity markets. It's it's nearly twelve year, must be nearly twelve years we've seen the markets pretty much going up continually. Are you beginning to see a bit of rotation out of? Well, hopefully people came out of bonds in the summer because interest rates have started to go up, and that's only just the start of it. But are you beginning to see people moving out of the slightly more aggressive some of the tech stocks into some of the alternative assets? Then
2: I mean, there's been kind of various rotations throughout the year. In kind of February, there was a rotation from kind of the typical growth tech. Uh, stocks into kind of less uh, loved areas of the market, such as um, kind of um, financial um, stocks um, and a few others. Since then, we've seen a bit of a rotation back into tech stocks, um, okay. so kind of with the exception of kind of early December when there was a bit more of a kind of risk off approach to things given kind of news around the Almian uh, uh, variants, um, as well as kind of fears of. Uh, kind of Fed tapering as well. Okay,
1: and and what are your what are your thoughts with your sort of macroeconomic hat on? Where 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 are we? Um, do you think from a sort of over the next six months, is it going to be risk on? I people looking for riskier investments or is it risk-off and people looking perhaps for what historically have been sort of safer, less volatile investments?
2: It's always hard to say. There is kind of yeah a bit of more kind of fear in this place. So we may see kind of a slight kind of uh, rotation towards more risk-off assets so uh, relative to kind of what we saw kind of um in the last of the summer, uh which you kind know, of there was a lot of yeah um people looking for risk then. But... And, and
0: do,
1: do people see do people, do you think, see um, crypto as very much, you know, a risky, a risky asset, or do they see it as a as something which could give them some diversification?
2: So, lots of different investors have different theses about this, um, and overall, kind of our analysis show, shows that is uncorrelated to pretty much every other asset class. based purely on a kind of, um, kind of a empirical analysis. We um, kind of, we ourselves see it as a diversification asset and also kind of a yield enhancing assets. Uh, though different um, investors do treat it differently. Some treat it as an inflation hedge risk off asset. Others treat it as, kind of like a risk on tech stock. Others um, treat it as a technology play. Um, we treat it as a risky asset, but not a macro risk on asset as it's uncorrelated to um, kind of basically everything we've tested correlations on or more advanced statistical analysis we've done on and, and how, how
1: far have you gone back with the testing Is it, Have you have you used bitcoin as your benchmark or have you used that and then as you've seen the donors of bitcoin decline in the overall market you've used a portfolio of other assets how, how does that work
2: yeah we've done all kinds of analysis from bitcoin the to top 10 top 30 top 100 also um done analysis on kind of actively managed crypto funds uh which we found gets notably superior performance relative to any you know, bitcoin or kind of crypto market um, benchmark so for right. example over kind of our look back period of back to start of 2015 which is when the earliest well when you have more than a couple of crypto funds crypto funds have um notably outperformed getting roughly twice performance of the crypto market with a third less volatility in half of the maximum drawdown so multiple benefits to go in the actively managed route as opposed to direct disclosure
1: routes. OK, and again, I should have asked you before we came on air, but you, you, you did a fascinating presentation earlier this week to a number of institutional investors that you kindly asked me to. And you were, you were showing the impact of having um, up to 5% of a diversified portfolio in, in, in cryptocurrencies. And it had quite an impact on the Sharpe ratio, didn't it?
2: Yeah, um, you know, typically it roundabouts uh, doubles the kind of sharp and Sortino ratios and kind of yeah, more than doubles the annualised return. But volatility stays yeah, virtually the same, which is exactly what you want from a diversifying assets. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, Sorry, listeners, it's me and Peter getting to fund management speak here, which can be a bit dull. What, what a sharp ratio is, it shows you the risk adjusted return. So what it does is basically say, okay, so this investment has gone up by 10 percent as opposed to another investment has gone up by 30 percent. And whilst 30 percent sounds really attractive, you know, three times, you know, have you have you had a huge amount of volatility? Has has the volatility been more than three times? Because if it is, you you haven't been compensated, even though you've earned more. And it's a measurement that um, institutions use to try and look at a variety of different asset classes and looking at the sort of risk adjusted how much does it zig up and down the volatility rather than just looking at the price so yeah so i know you one of the things you do do which i think is great you've got you've got all sorts of research papers and information on your website which um you know for those that are interested can have a look at some of the research and papers you've done uh, because as you say very much education is a core of of what you've been doing um within the firm isn't it
2: yeah um so kind of we're still kind of at a stage of most investors still don't understand this space and that's largely why the opportunity where the opportunity lies investors are still coming in opportunities haven't been crowded out yet and there's little um sign that is going to happen in the near future um so that's why it's such an ideal time to enter Okay, and and I know you're, you you use the
1: word a lot in your article, tokenization. So, do you see tokenization or creating a digital wrapper, a digital asset around other asset classes, whether it be derivatives or data or, or even real estate and quantity? Do, do you see that expanding that whole alternative investment class because you'll then be able to trade some of those assets twenty four hours? Seven days a week, if need be.
2: Yes, it has kind of both. I mean, kind of one of the kind of key benefits is kind of opening access, both through kind of uh, enabling people, um, kind of small investors, to kind of buy parts of assets, uh, which you wouldn't otherwise have had the money to buy, to buy an entire kind of commercial property, you can buy kind of a fraction of it, or kind of through reduced um, kind of costs. Um, one of the key benefits of blockchain is that it should notably reduce transaction costs, obviously then opens up the market to um, smaller ticket investors. Um, as currently, the alternative asset classes are dominated by large institutional investors such as pension funds, endowment funds, et cetera, Due to the large transaction costs of, for example, buying a commercial property or um, kind of getting into a top-tier hedge fund. Okay, and
1: and the other thing only only because I I, I don't know if you saw this, but it's now become um, one of the one of the top ten words in the English Collins in the Collins English Dictionary this year, is non-fungible tokens. You know, it's just seeing this is something which has come, you know, completely out of the blue to, to most people. Do you think we're going to start seeing non fungible token funds, i.e., funds that give you exposure to a broad range of different non fungible tokens? And if so, is that the sort of thing you might be tempted to have a small percentage of, the, of your portfolio in?
2: Yeah, there are already kind of a small number of non fungible token funds or NFT funds. <laughs> um, <laughs> We are kind of monitoring the space. Um, at the it's moment. very early days, isn't it? Yeah, it's very early days. We haven't invested direct, like directly in any specific NFT funds, as we're more interested in uh, kind of investing in the technology and the value it creates, as opposed to buying pieces of art. Um, but it's something we are actively looking at. Everything the underlying tokens are notably undervalued to what we think they're going to be in the near future. Right, and
1: that's where obviously having your macroeconomic hat on, you're you you're looking at this asset class i you know crypto and alternative assets, in relation to what's happening in what i call the traditional you know, equity bond commodity that, that the cycle which is always has been there since well since the dutch invented joint stock companies back in the sort of 16th century so you're using that macroeconomic hat not not just comparing one crypto to another
2: we can kind of, have uh, invest in space in many different ways um from kind of um equity etfs to kind of to hedge funds to more venture capital um style investing and obviously um you kind of know what's happening in the markets does have some impact on that
1: brilliant brilliant jane sorry i've been um peter and i've been yakking. I, I find it fascinating because having spent nearly sort of 30 odd years running a fund management business for self it's interesting to hear completely new asset class and and hear you know peter um you know obviously with his knowledge of the macroeconomic side and bringing that to this fairly specialist area but before we, we wrap up this week, if, any anything springs to mind? Any any thoughts on that? You can't you know, ask him to buy your crypto token by the way. He only buys fund of funds. So I know what you like.
0: Oh, I guess I'll stay broke then. <laughs> No, he was um, bringing back memories of my old career. Uh, You know, we talked about at one point back in the day, we talked about how we were allowing, you know, people were like, I don't know if I want 30,000 shares of Google, but I know I got 100 grand, right? And it was like, it was using fiat for a notional trade. And and you wound up trying to get, you know, as much Google in that case as possible. So I was listening to Peter, though. I was was thinking about that. And one of my questions was... um, if you were to create like an index, let, let's go back to NFTs for a moment, right? And you had a basket of, of NFTs with liquidity and, and uh, volatility going on. Is there a way for you guys to do a, like a monthly rebalance to, you know, solidify investors that are perhaps not as active or savvy? Um,
2: so there are some investable NFT indexes um, already. Um, it's still early days, but yeah, there is some experimentation and some early kind of attempts on that. One of the kind of key issues um, in terms of rebalancing is sometimes the liquidity of um, these NFTs, especially when you move away from the kind of top um, kind of types of NFTs, you have similar kind of problems in the art market, although the NFT market has shown to have far liquidity to a much larger range of um, kind of artworks than in traditional um, art markets. So there does definitely seem to be improving liquidity relative to the old markets yeah
0: brilliant all right brilliant. so maybe maybe you get the uh instead of a russell rebalance we get a uh, uh name an artist why did i just have a brain freeze <laughs> what people right a people rebalance Beeple. yeah
1: people rebalance
0: I, I just want to say it out loud people yeah. rebalance yeah. all, all right. right yeah that's all i got okay. yeah. all right well, there's always the you.
2: crypto punks and... that's
1: true you have a, a crypto punk index rebalance yeah There's kind
2: of a crypto punk funds yeah of course so yeah
1: yeah Go hearing me trying to keep up with it is a is a full-time job as, as well as you well know peter that's yeah. become your full-time job trying to just keep up with all the different sorts of various developments but peter thank you once once again really really interesting um hearing about how you're getting on um if if people want to get more information or um getting hold of how, how's the best way to get hold of your your, your company
2: we have um kind of what well, can be kind of uh, contact via our website, um, depending on why you want to kind of talk to us about the various different emails, and it will go straight to the um, most relevant person in our company.
1: Okay, and that's Arrow A-A-R-O, capital. Dot I can't
2: capital. Remember.
1: Uh, got, A- sorry, it's dot capital, yeah, is
2: it? yeah. yeah, dot capital, yeah.
1: there's A-A-R-O dot capital. So um, you'll find Peter's website there. Um, I say, lots of really interesting research for the more technical-minded of you listening in and James that's uh that's another show that, that this is our last guest for 2021 I know we're going to do a, um, a little ditty ourselves next week um but um yeah another another show good good to uh, obviously be back on the ways with you and we'll be back um next week um well sorry the week after will be our final show yeah next good week again.
0: I'll bring the champagne and we'll get we'll get toasted on air you're gonna have you're gonna have your Santa outfit on are you there you go <laughs> All right. I love learning. Well, thanks, thanks. I love learning all the new words from from your side of the pond. Right? I'm a petrol head.
1: Yeah, that's true. You are a petrol head. You're not a gas head, are you? If you're a gas head, it'd be something to do with Ethereum. Oh God! Yeah, don't do that to me. <laughs> all right, Peter. Thank you very much for coming on the show again, and we'll 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 definitely get you back um, um, in 2022 and give us an update on what's happening with the markets. Certainly.
2: Thank you. All
1: right. Thanks, James.